Welcome to the Elemental Awakening. Hello and welcome everyone to another episode of Elemental Awakening Podcast. I'm your host, Chio. Today I have a very special guest, John M. Folak, author of the Visionary Quest series, Life Adventurer, Explorer, really interesting guy. We're going to hear a bit about his story today and a little bit about what makes him tick. So thank you guys for tuning in and all the likes, subscribes, follows. Really appreciate you guys. And welcome to the show, John. Thank you very much, Joe. I appreciate you having me here. So I always like to start the the story or the show off a bit with a bit of a story. You know, what what is your backstory? What led you to become an author um, of the Visionary Quest series? Were you always a writer? And like, what's the whole story that got you to where you are today? No, you know, really what it was, was heartbreak. That's what brought me directly to the psychedelics. And from there, I began to look into ways to heal, not only acutely from that situation, but long-term in a more sustainable fashion. What would bring meaning to my life? What would help to correct the models and worldviews that were flawed and, and brought me absolute catastrophe? And that set me on the psychedelic path. And from there, over a course of years, I basically just felt as though I had to acquired too much seemingly universal information to just sit on. I wanted to to spread it, basically, at least the bits of wisdom that I found to be universally true and applicable. So then that was the call to to write. And I began to pair up the, the psychedelic journey that I had been on with the hero's journey, which is reference to Joseph Campbell's work there and the cycle that he essentially stitched together, which was a series of common archetypes thought to comprise the story, the human story, the individual story. And I began to recognize much of that in my process that was already going on without me consciously being aware of it. And so then I started to see the frame of reference that I was writing from, which became something of an everyman explorer of the human condition and the the trials and tribulations that are common to all of us just so happened to be represented in this particular story, which was my character's life this world and I set out to just put that into the world and and that's basically what brought me now into the visionary quest series awesome okay so tell me a bit about about the heartbreak so what was your life like before you had this shift and and you know for me I always know that you know at the moment what is the worst part or thing that can ever happen to you looking back can also be the most important thing so tell me a bit about what was life before the heartbreak and then what happened and then how it transpired from there sure sure I was doing pretty okay before the heartbreak. I had my first real professional job. I was in pilot. I was an aviation pilot for an aerial photography company. It was actually contracted through Google. So we would essentially grid line map major cities of the US, a little bit in Canada. And that was the task. It was very boring work, but we didn't work a lot because it was uh, based on visual conditions that had had to be clear outside. So anyway, that was a pretty good job. It paid well enough and it allowed me a lot of off time and, and to just explore, explore the world. I ended up meeting a girl about a few months into this job. We dated for a little over a year and that was my first true and real love. That was it for me. And then because of many of the unconscious patterns that I had going on within me, which were were pretty errored. Alcoholism, for one, materialism, and just an inability to genuinely connect, I think, with, with others, especially the feminine in my life, the romantic feminine. That came to its inevitable explosion and catastrophe, which was disaster, disaster of my worldview. I then was left with the acute elements of heartbreak. I lost 10 pounds in a week. I 
didn't know what was up. I, I didn't know how to put the pieces back together again. But slowly and surely, I, I began to, as I said, investigate the psychedelics and, and find a kind of path of sustainable meaning and fulfillment from them. And that helped me in a very big picture way start to put pieces back together that were more useful and more accurate than what I was previously caught up in the traps that I was caught up in those cultural traps such as materialism and alcoholism and such and then from there it turned into writing and so um when you said you turned to the psychedelics were you a psychedelic user before you had this and and if not what sort of opened that up to you what was your perception about them and was it like a last ditch effort to to get out of pain or was it curiosity? You want to tell me a bit about that process? It was both for sure. Yeah. At first it was just pain. I, I think I literally ended up Googling how to naturally cure heartbreak and then depression after, after the initial stages of the heartbreak. And that ended up pushing me toward the mushroom. I was beginning to understand some of the benefits that has been shown of it with, um, it's help with PTSD syndromes some OCD syndromes, of course, and just, essentially as a way to break your programming, because that's a big part of what depression is, right? You're caught up in cycles that aren't even necessarily true any longer, but you're caught in them. And so I just sought to hit the reset button or reprogram the neural pathway so I could see more clearly. And when you're involved in that kind of endeavor and you're not looking to go through the mainstream psychiatric route, which I wasn't, I just wasn't going to do that. And I wasn't going to be a part of my process. The psychedelics almost seemed to be the thing that I was on a collision course with. So at first to, to answer you, it was healing. It, I did not have a relationship with them before. I suppose I didn't have any opinion of them before. I just didn't know anything about them to some degree. I suppose the war on drugs program was effective on me. I just thought like, eh, not for me, but when I was in a position of need, I began to really see where the medicines were and I found medicines in them. Yeah. And then after that though, just to tie the second part of your question, it became curiosity. I became to naturally want to investigate them more to see what they could offer. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. I think uh, Google has become the number one prescriber of psychedelics in the history of all time, because most people find them through a Google search. It's like, Hey, I'm in pain or I don't know what's going on. And like, boom, one or two Google searches later, they're on some like, thread and reddit or airwit or one of these like psychedelic forums and like hearing stories of people like hey like i tried everything i was prescribed antidepressants or i did this I've been in therapy for so long and then this actually helped me create a meaningful change so so tell me a bit about that so you were doing some mushroom journeys and what where, when did the, how did the light bulb go off was was there a moment where it was like oh shit you know like hey i don't have to feel this way do you remember a, a turning point specifically I don't, when it came to the heartbreak, I think that was just me realizing that I needed to, to put pieces back together that weren't built from materialism and alcoholism, my flawed assumptions. And then, so the role of the psychedelics in that was to help to give me something that was more all encompassing, more true, that allowed my understanding to further itself naturally and in a way that w was good for not only myself, but of course, those I came into contact and fellow man with and all of that. So it, it definitely took some time. It took me about a year and a half before I ever actually used the mushroom from that heartbreak experience. But once I did so, it was conscientiously and I did seek to break through with it. And it took me a couple of times. I had to use it three days in a row before I fully got a breakthrough and experience. And this just was because I was trying to be safe about it, psychologically sound and all of this. So I, I kind of did it in a well-measured way. 
And once I broke through, I was in touch with what felt to me at the time, like the feminine spirit of the mushroom. And this was the healing in and of itself. The experience was the healing. And then from there, I said, wow, there's just too much magic in this bag to not continue to explore and bring other questions to it. I, I suppose by that point, I had more or less healed, but I, I was by no means all put back together. So I wanted to continue that process. Yeah, there's no better way for the soul to get your attention or to, to crush an ego by like, hey, let's get some heartbreak in there and start this journey of exploration into like, what makes what makes a man tick? What what really is under the hood here? So so where did that lead you to? So you're, you're doing like, so when you when you say mushroom journey, are you doing like the, the hero's dose, like a five gram journey? Yeah. Yeah. In short, that's what my protocol was. It, it became that it became once a month there for a while to do a, a five dried gram heroic dose by myself, closed eyes and dive in and experience what it was that I needed from the mushroom and, and to bring to it my intention. So in short, what happened there from exploration was at one point, I asked the mushroom to see the grand nature of all. I wanted to find the floor of reality. And it showed me a depiction of the figure eight, the infinite, the infinity symbol. That was a representation of intelligence consuming itself. And that was it. It was almost as if they were saying, we are not this. But if you want to know, this is what we've got. And of course, what was also associated with that too was a feeling. The feeling was we are the imagination of ourselves here to experience, learn, grow, and do all of this more than any, even of that was to experience. That was where the emphasis was. At that point in time, I had been using the mushroom for maybe a couple of years and I didn't know what to do with that. I felt, that's it. That's all we have there. There's nothing deeper, nothing more meaningful than that. So I still felt a void and this caused me to go to mother ayahuasca with the same question. I simply sought to understand, so I figured I'd triangulate my info from a couple different plant teachers. And then I brought that question to her. And she gave me essentially the same infinite, the same transcendent suchness that the mushroom did. However, it was filled with love. It was glass overfilling with cosmic bliss. And from there, I decided that I had to write all this out because there was simply too much. Okay. So, so what are, what were some of the bigger takeaways though, that, that you would say, like, if there's one big thing in your book, like, what was the the thing that was like the, like, oh my God, aha moment or takeaway? Well, those extremely transcendent experiences all have all of that, of course, right? Mm -hmm. They have those aha moments and you're just so united. You're so complete in total that, that, that is the healing in and of itself. You string enough of those together and then begin to integrate them when you come back and figure out what use you could bring from that into your world and your life, then it does take form in a sort of story. I would say though, to answer your question really in a concise way, I stopped drinking hundred percent totally. And if we're to think about the psychedelics and natural ones, organic ones as being truly medicines that have traditionally been used this way, that's exactly the way that they took form in my life. Because after using them for a while, I realized I cannot have the goal of improving, of growing, learning more, evolving, using these things intentionally and all this, and then drinking. Mm -hmm. It seemed like the total opposite thing to me. So it became extraordinarily clear that at least for for my use of it with alcohol, it was a trap and it needed to go immediately. And, And that's just a case in point of one of the things on my journey that they as supernatural aids, the psychedelics really helped 
show me and, and helped me to avoid as a trap. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, and so, you know, a lot of the experiences, especially the higher doses, um, sometimes are very hard to put into words. So as an author, you know, did you struggle trying to translate the experiences into written word? And yeah. is there anything you can sort of t- talk about that or the challenges yeah. or insights that you got from that? Absolutely. Well, let me just first mark on all of this. I didn't know that I was going to be to writing a book. Even when I started writing it, I just felt the compulsion to, to put it all out there. So I just started typing all of this out. And then it, it gained momentum and it started to take form. And I used Joseph Campbell's hero's journey to outline it in a, in a formulaic way that made sense in all of this. So in that process, you go through your your editing, of course, and you go through your your clarification of what you learned. It's, it's a really good way to structure or integrate your lessons for sure. And I found that out as I was doing it. The first book I wrote, it was called Psychedelic Hero's Journey of a Traveling Nobody. It was just very long. It was 127,000 words, 362 pages. It was a lot. And so when I finished it, some critique was given to me by people in my circle. It's kind of a lot. And I said, yeah, yeah, it is. You're right. So from there, what I decided to do, and this is getting right to the heart of your question, I decided to not write anything other than just the trip reports. I decided to focus all of my attention on that. I kind of thought that that's where the meaning was. So there wasn't to be any writing outside of that. So with the next series of books, what I sought to do was simply write very short chapters, a couple thousand words per chapter, 11 chapters per book. So each book's like 20, 30,000 words. They're all pretty short. And the idea was that they were just campfire-esque like. If we were sitting by a campfire swapping psychedelic stories, this is what you would get. And hopefully the point was that they are entertaining, but at the same time, they do contain some kind of integrative value that I found at least for myself. And then therefore seemingly to be used as a tool by, by anyone else who read or took in the story or, or whatever you have there. So that was kind of sculpting the focus and the aim of the trip reports. And that gave me in many ways, the lens that I wanted because not only was it to integrate, obviously for me, but then it was broader in scope. It was, oh, this trip report's got to connect to to the world. And through this every man perspective, me, can I bring forth something that will do that? And I, and I try to do that with each and every chapter. So that process kind of did focus the aim of, of how to write about the, the trips. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, I had a question about um, what a lot of people will call bad trips. So going into the five gram hero hero dose you know these are some uncharted territories for for many um even you know avid users you know the five gram is usually going into those unknown uncharted waters um what was your experience like with with challenging or what people may call bad trips and how were you able to navigate those and and sort of pull anything out of them what, what what's your perspective on that yeah well they happen for sure as you know yeah no, no matter what if you spend enough time in these space you get into them I've definitely had a fair amount of them, obviously, and and they could shell shock you too. I suppose I just want to ma- make mention of that because I, I always have fear going into any kind of psychedelic experience. I think most of us do who, who are conscientious and honest about the process. So when you get rocked, what do you do with that? I guess that's the question that helps you use them one way or the other. If you are given something that that does bring anomaly into your worldview, your model, but seemingly it can't be ignored. Just for example, maybe you're working a job 
you don't know that you're unfulfilled, you're unhappy, you think you're doing okay, right? But maybe you are drinking. This is all pretty much me at various times in my story. And maybe you are hanging around with people who aren't the best for you. Maybe you're not aimed coherently anywhere. You don't really have any goals or ambitions. You're just kind of existing. And then you take a trip and it shows you some kind of psychedelic hell, maybe. This actually happened to me once with ayahuasca. I was given in that particular setting, this in context, this sort of focused form of what my life was. And from there, I knew if I didn't try to integrate that, if I didn't attempt to change my ways, literally quit my job and attempt to go out into the unknown and sustain myself on my own merits, then I would just be spinning my wheels. I wouldn't be doing any work and I could expect nothing more from any of the psychedelic aids had I decided to go back and I could expect to essentially not have my fulfillment because I didn't have a coherent aim. So that might be an example of, of a particularly bad trip that over the, the next couple months started to allow me to make the moves that I needed to to better my life. And of course, that process becomes very rocky. It's not to be thought of as anything smooth. It isn't. I don't think it ever goes smooth for anyone ever at any mm. point in time. But you do prevail, and especially with that kind of heroic mentality and, and perseverance you can find the, the tools that you need to navigate and forth yeah it's interesting you know i've heard a, a lot of people share the um particular in ayahuasca but also other other plant medicines but going into that sort of hell like like the psychedelic hell or just the never-ending pain and blood and guts and i i believe it's it's just bringing to this point of just really letting go completely like it brings you what what your mind feels is like the scariest, most torturous place until you're ready to fully surrender and just allow, you know, things to unfold in the way that they need to. But you got to come to a place of surrender first where it's like, okay, I don't know anything about anything. I'll, I'll, I'll be here to be a student and to observe and to grow and not to control and know what's right and wrong. And, um, you know, and, and I've, I've heard that many times where, you know, they, they, they've said, that people have shared it with me. It's like, yeah, it was like the worst night of my life until it became the best night of my life. Yep. You know, until I was ready to say, okay, like I surrender, I die, I give up, you know, like I'm not going to fight this anymore. I'm not going to fight. And really what I think they're fighting is their own minds inability to sort of let go, you know, of whatever, whatever they're holding on to and go into really going into that unknown. And I had the same, same, I've had similar experiences too, where it was, you know, <laughs> times where I went in with without any fear because I felt a little too comfortable until there was that time where I got really shocked shell-shocked by an intense experience like hey remember you know this thing here like you know um and that sort of brought me back but really re re reshaped my focus on my my relationship with the plant medicine um and led me to sort of better integration practices I think is what ultimately came out of that really um my darkest experiences but I would love to ask you, you know, what, what, what does your integration look like? Because a lot of people I find that are curious, they're learning, you know, they still come very much from a Western allopathic mindset where they just want a pill to fix all their problems. And they think that the psychedelic is replacing the pill. So, hey, I, I don't want to do any work, but I want to take a big dose of something. And I heard, you know, to fix someone before. So that's going to, I hope that's going to be me next. So what do you have to say to that as from, from an integration and even a preparation standpoint as well? I'd love to hear about your perspective on that. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think they're magic pills as you just referred to at all. I think there's something quite different than that. Quite other. They are medicines though, and they can fundamentally change you in such a way where you 
can begin to heal yourself. I think something along those lines might be a clear enough way in which you could describe their use as a medicine to heal psychologically and maybe even in some cases physically, depending on what it is, if, if you've got addictive behavior, you know, something like that. So for myself, that is the two parts of, of the thematic elements of my writing. It is, of course, these visionary quests, which is the plant medicine usage in a fairly intentional way, and then the heroic cycle, which is basically the life cycle. But can you break that down that joseph campbell's yeah. <laughs> i'd love to hear a bit more about that process you know sure, i'm familiar yeah. with it just for the the viewers all sort of listeners you know just to break that down and how they integrate with your story absolutely yeah joseph campbell's cycle the the hero's cycle or the heroic cycle was first published in his book the hero with a thousand faces in 1949 campbell was essentially a mythologist and he stitched together these common archetypes or these patterns of human behavior in an order a story form and his model is 17 stages of this that essentially comprises the formula of a good story so to speak from all these various mythologies the elements of them that all seemingly were common and from that the idea is that well we're all that hero we all have a thousand faces, right? We're all coming from the same suchness, the same Godhead at the infinite. And we're just living out our particular incarnations. But so too, don't these incarnations have commonalities to these heroic cycles? And aren't we the heroes of our lives? It seems to me that way. It really does. So that's why I paired the two together. In short, the cycle is basically and it, the three stages you could talk about it. In. The first would be hearing the call to adventure, which breaks the hero out of his day in, day out world. Then he is entering the stage of initiation in which he'll proceed or she will proceed on their road to trials geared at a particular treasure, which is often thought of as a capital T truth that that person needs to integrate in order to evolve. And then that is the last stage. It's integration. It's the return home back to the origin, essentially. And this means that you've taken the treasure, you've figured out how to make it of use for yourself, but not only yourself, the return home also implies for, for your fellow man. So the way that I, I really think about this in abstract form is, is kind of a side note, I think there's value here, is I think we are that hero of our lives. I think we're all basically pointed at the treasure of highest and best personal use. That's as far as I can tell, that's a real pathway in the matrix of life, highest and best personal use. And that's the treasure. So yeah, it's gonna take a lot of getting rocked around to get there, knocked around and such, but you can find it. It's very real having found it. Now the task is to figure out how to work that out for yourself so that it can be spread to your fellow man. And this is essentially like the return home, like back to the place of origin. So that was just kind of a side note on my abstraction of the hero's cycle. But in short, how I pair these cycles up or the cycle up with a visionary quest is that you have an intention. You are taking the call to fence. You are immersing into the unknown. You usually get something which could be thought of as the treasure, the lesson of the quest. And then from there, you have to bring it home. You have to integrate it into your pattern of behavior, your life, so that you're not really even coming back to the same world. This is a point I always like to make too. I try to be clear and tell people, for the most part, you're going to come back to the same world. You're not going to lose your mind. If there has been no problems like that or history of problems like that in your past usage, it's probably not going to happen. No. But do you ever really come back if you've integrated a new lesson to the same exact default place that you did before? I'm not so sure because you're treating the world differently. You're getting different feedback. And now... Mm -hmm. the the reaction that you're going to put forth based upon that different feedback is going to fundamentally change the whole thing. So 
these cycles paired with an intentional use and the way I frame it is that journey give you the framework, so to speak, to be able to really change your life in, in ways that I'm not so sure I ever could have without the plant medicines. Awesome. Well, as part of this, I guess you're, you're a writer. Um, I'm wondering if you're just as good of a storyteller as you're a writer and you want to share one of your favorite trip reports with us and, and, and you know, um, some, something that came out of it as far as a, a nugget of wisdom that can be shared with some of the listeners. Absolutely. My favorite one usually is always the last one because I do attempt to use it in that way to, to integrate the lessons at hand and, and then um, change my life fundamentally for the better with it. And, and that seems to constitute the basis of a good story. Going from point A to point B, something happens to you, how do you overcome and become better than you were, that type of thing. So the last one I went on was in the desert here of Western Texas. I just took a four days and four nights off of work and I went out there, I, I scheduled it and everything in the a park. And I was in solitude. I didn't even really know what I was going to do, even if I was going to use the mushroom. That's what I came prepared to use, but I wasn't sure if I was going to. So I fasted for the first two days and I just let the quest unveil itself to me. And I went hiking and did some various things while I was there. But for the most part, I mean, I was just in my solitude trying to understand. My intention was to merge with source. So the last day rolled around and it had, became, it had become clear to me throughout the time I was there that I would end up taking the mushroom. I just I didn't know how much. And so I decided to take eight dried grams. Eight was a number that was symbolically represented to me along this vision quest as being what I should pay attention to, essentially. So I took this. This was a lot, more than I ever had taken at any other point in my life. And I sat there in my tent in November here in Texas, but it was still quite warm. And I felt the breeze coming through the tent, which was nice. It felt good. Every so often, I decided to ask for more of it, as if I was praying for more of the breeze. It seemed to, to work in proportion to my internal questioning to the point that I thought, wow, there seems to be a direct cause and effect relationship here. I began to work more with that process such that I convinced myself that I was bending the laws of known physics here. Then I realized that language and concepts, even though I wasn't speaking aloud, were still taking form internally within me. And they were all seemingly muddling the process. All that I needed was a very focused intent and pressed upon the grid work and framework of reality with my will, human will, and then the natural and inevitable results would bring themselves to you. And that's what I seem to be engaged with there. Now, this was a happening that, of course, I have no objective evidence for whatsoever. And no one else around me was around me to tell me what I was experiencing was not happening. And of course, too, as you know, consciousness is not exactly fully rooted in the same way it is in your day and day out life. So it could have been that a part of my awareness was kind of keen on the breeze coming and I tactilely picked that up subconsciously in parts of my body and then knew when the breeze was coming. All on the table, but the way that it seemed and the lesson that I think I gained from this experience was that the human will and your energetic signature, so to speak, that is something that could certainly be worked with, especially when the veils between dimensions are being very thin with a heavy psychedelic state, out alone without anyone being around you, but not only in those positions, even in your life. I think we're always doing this. I think we're always pressing our energetic signature upon reality. And, and mm -hmm. of course, when we're with other people, that has real repercussions as well. So if there was any single element, in short, that became clear from that experience, it was will, energetic signature, there, real. They're happening consciously or un. So it makes every bit of sense to be 
as aware as you can and mindful of, of what kind of signature you're putting out there so as you can hopefully gear yourself at that highest and best use and give yourself the best chance to return home. Yeah, I love that. I think that a lot of the time, you know, when people work on manifesting and creating and using their will, the language um, of their mind gets in the way, you know, the belief systems, the negative self-talk, the, the worry and the doubt, which are all words where they, they forget on the focus of trying to create, you know, beyond, you know, the past stories that they have limited themselves with, or those patterns you talked about earlier, you know, when you're in those states of um, being feeling down or depressed, you know, there's a pattern that's going on based on a belief system that's inside of somewhere inside of your mind right so yeah i love that i love that just just really willing it out and <clears throat> not letting the words the language get in the way and again there's no real way to know for sure if you were controlling it or not but i think the important thing is is that you extracted that sort of understanding about the way things work right so the psychedelic experience created an experience for you to bring you to an understanding of a lesson you know sometimes i'll have experiences where you know, I'll see a loved one die. And I question, you know, am I seeing, is this going to happen now because I saw it? And a lot of the times it had nothing to do with that, but that was trying to bring an emotion or an experience out of me to then trigger a, a teaching or a learning based on, you know, my reaction to certain things. Um, similar to, you know, your breakup, where, you know, it was just a trigger that led you on this journey, which was needed. You know, without that, it may have never got to where you are today on this, on this beautiful journey that you're on. Um, so yeah, so was, that was a, a perfect um story to tell a trip report i love that and uh, i love doing it out in nature and um you know also I'd recommend you know eight grams is not for the faint of heart um you know I, I don't condone or recommend psychedelics in any way shape or form but if you do feel called to ever experiment you know make sure you do them safely safe environment always you know proceed with caution smaller doses i'd I, if i was doing it myself i'd always start small and work my way up as well um okay cool so what's next for you then john like are you going to continue writing have you have some divine inspiration like what what's what where are you have you been led on this journey or where do you feel like you're you're moving your energy to next it's the natural extension of that vision quest really so what else i got out there as it specifically applied to to me my character in this world was that i had to stop deluding myself with my life path i had been involved in writing about this for the past four years and then since that breakup it's been about eight so which really kind of started the whole thing off as i was describing so for about the past eight years i've been involved in this and i've been extremely hesitant to put my full legal name on my work and i haven't done it until just after that vision quest so what i did was i came back and i had a, a call set up with a marketing company and i reported what went on there and i essentially said something like look i was shown that i have to do this you guys are going to help me do it and the company i worked with was great so let's let's do so let's move forward and i was questioned okay great we're going to put your your name on the books then I said, oh, I don't know about that. And the reason was at that time I was working a job. I was a pilot for a cargo company. I just recently quit. And I just was hesitant because aviation and psychedelics, they're not exactly two things that are going to jive. And of course, anyone in the future could just Google my name and, well, they're going to throw my applicant resume out. So anyhow, that was my hesitation. But I realized I can't continue to dilute myself. So this kind of goes back to what I failed to answer before. You're, you're asking me about how I integrate. I attempt to always actually do the thing that I'm given on these trips, regardless of what that looks like within my own forecast. So it doesn't look good from my own ability to forecast with cultural values and financial 
stability and so forth and so on. But my soul, my inner knowing knows this is what I was given and I have to act on it. So to answer this part of the question, I'm just doing this as much as I can now, being available for active conversations on this psychedelic space, living as an everyman explorer of these spaces and human condition and sharing whatever wisdoms and truths I've found through writing and talking. And I, I started a podcast actually traveling nobody's to do the same thing and just help do Whoa. my part. Some traveling nobody. Nobody's. Sure. It's it's plural. Nobody's. Yeah, on the podcast, it's plural. And all that's just uh, linked up through travelingnobody.net. Very cool. Um, which is gonna uh, lead me to my next question before I just backtrack um a second here. And I would just say, you know, in these experiences, you know, my advice to anyone would be you may get some very clear messages on things you should or need to do in your life. And I would always say it's important to take action immediately on them. However, the bigger the change, the more space I would give yourself between your psychedelic experience and actually making that decision, not saying to discredit it completely, you know, start thinking about it, if it's right or wrong, sometimes it's very clear what to do. <clears throat> but I've seen people make some, some, I guess all, all, all decisions are what is exactly supposed to happen, but you don't want to have an experience and then quit your job the next day when you have, you know, a dependent family on you and you need to pay your bills and now you have nothing to do, but the medicine told you to do so. Um, ultimately I do believe though, if that's what happens, it's probably what's in your deck of cards anyways. Uh, but I always recommend just take some time in between for that integration to unfold. You know, if it's something simple as calling your mother to tell you, tell her that you love her because you haven't talked to her in a long time. That's an easy one. There's no real risk or risk of damage being done there in most cases. Um, and a bigger change, you know, just give it some time. Um, but you always want to sort of really, um, in the integration is to see like, how do I integrate this into my life? And sometimes, you know, the medicine is going to show you, Hey, you need to make a big change. And that may be painful, maybe difficult, maybe challenging. You may not want to do it because you're so used to your uh, uncomfortable comfortableness where you are in your space in the known. Um, but just beyond that unknown, maybe something waiting for you. And sometimes it takes that sort of courage to go beyond and see what lies next. Um, so, yeah, so I think that's a perfect place to sort of close off the conversation here today. And I would just love to know, you know, for the listeners that want to, you know, maybe check out your stuff or your book or your podcast, where can, where can they find you? What's the best way to get, a, get in touch with you? Are you on social media? What, what, yeah. yeah, all social media, everything could be found through travelingnobody.net. And that links up to all the books through Amazon too there. So that's the formal place, travelingnobody.net. Travelingnobody.net. Okay, very cool. So thank you very much, John, for, for coming on here today, spending some time sharing some of your wisdom. Um, please, guys, check out his books. The book series is called Visionary Quests, author of the Visionary Quest series. John is the author of the Visionary Quest series. So it's Visionary Quest series. How many, how many, how many books in the series now, John? Four in this series currently. Four in this series. Awesome. So check them out. John, again, thank you. Please keep on doing what you're doing and sharing and, and adventuring and exploring and bringing back that wisdom to share with others. Appreciate you. And thank you for being here. Thank you, Joe. I appreciate your time. <laughs>